there is so much uh, conventional wisdom around learning, uh, and so much of that conventional wisdom, Ryan, it, it's wrong. So a lot of people believe in learning styles that some people be- learn best with their eyes, some people learn best with their ears. There's no evidence for that. Uh, and then I often see people using highlighters or rereading as forms of studying uh, really weak approaches to acquiring expertise. And then there's some approaches that, frankly, people think are a little weird, like self-explaining, uh, talking to yourself, you know, are highly, highly effective, and, and people don't use them nearly enough. And so my goal with this book was really then to spread the word, to help people understand how to learn in more effective ways. So What's going on, my friends? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where week after week, I'm bringing you a book. I'm reading that book, condensing it down to its core golden nuggets. I'm bringing the author onto the show to talk about those golden nuggets, and I'm here every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time. If you haven't gotten your rating or your review of Cut the Crap Podcast yet, then what are you waiting for? Get it in. I don't care if you're listening on SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, iTunes, whatever. doesn't matter what you're listening on. Get your rating in, get your review in, and send me a screen capture of your review because I want to enter you into a draw for a new MacBook Air coming up this December. And once you're entered into the draw this quarter, you're entered into the draw forever. And every single quarter, I'm going to be giving away a kick-ass prize. So definitely get your entry in. All right, this week, what are we talking about? So this week, we're looking at the book, Learn Better, Mastering the Skills for Success in Life, business, and school, or how to become an expert in just about anything. Now, this book's written by Ulrich Bozier. I really like this book. Really big fan of it because it applies to absolutely everybody. Unless, of course, you think you don't need to learn anymore, in which case, get the hell out of here. (laughs) This episode's not for you. But for anybody who thinks they need to continue to learn more, they need to learn new skills, they need to learn uh, brand new knowledge, Whatever it is, if you want to get better at your craft, this book's fantastic because it gives us different techniques in terms of how to learn better and challenges a lot of the ways that perhaps we use to currently learn, many of which Ulrich calls out right in the very beginning of the episode in terms of how to learn. For me, when I read, I use highlights. I dog ear pages. Apparently, that's not the best way to learn. Apparently, there's better ways to learn, and I learned that in this episode talking to Ulrich, and uh, I guarantee you there's going to be some great takeaways for you here as well. So please do give it a listen, keep an open mind, take some notes, and hopefully you can apply some of these things into your life to help you learn better. Now, before we kick into this episode really quickly, I just want to say next week, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to be in Puerto Vallarta, and I'm going completely off the grid. No cell phone, nothing. So next week, there's going to be no episode. I know, I know. What are you going to do without Ryan in your ears on a Monday morning? I'll tell you what you do. You go back and listen to some old episodes. Re-listen to some old episodes of me and uh, Cut the Crap podcast and um, pick your favorite book. I mean, what are we up to now? Like episode 95, something like that? Got 95 different episodes to listen to. So go back over and uh, pull up maybe one of your favorites or pull up a random one and uh, put me in yours every Monday. It's a good habit to keep in mind. We're always hungry for knowledge. We always want to save time. We always want to learn. And this podcast, for me, baby, it's one of the best ways that I can do that and provide you this free service. So... 
Uh, I'm not going to be here this Monday, but uh, I will be back the week after. Um, but I um, uh, apologize in advance to everybody who uh, maybe is looking forward to a brand new episode on Monday. But don't worry, I'll be back here very soon. All right, my friends, let's get right into this one. Learn better, mastering the skills for success in life, business, and school, or how to become an expert in just about anything. I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Ulrich, how are you doing, my friend? Doing well. Thanks so much for the time. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Again, we're talking about learn better, mastering the skills for success in life, business, and school, or how to become an expert at just about anything. So this book, essentially very general in terms of, you know, become an expert about anything. We have a lot of people who listen to the show, um, students, for example, entrepreneurs, professionals, multidisciplinary in nature, and they want to know how to become an expert in certain areas. So having you on the show, I think uh, it's going to really resonate with a lot of people. So before we get into the book and we talk a little bit about it, maybe give us an introduction to who you are and why you wrote the book in the first place. Sure. My journey uh, for this book really starts when I was a little kid. Um, I really struggled with learning. I repeated kindergarten, spent some time in special education. Um, you know, there was this one time in, in a fourth grade math class within the period of 45 minutes. I couldn't read my own handwriting. I couldn't answer some basic math questions. I, I know all this because there was a psychologist in the back of the room trying to figure out, you know, all of my issues. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I eventually acquired some learning-to-learn skills, but that experience really struggling with learning as a young kid uh, sparked my fascination with education, with better ways to uh, acquire new skills. And um, I've been covering education as a journalist, uh, gosh, for almost 20 years now. I worked at different education publications, and now I'm a senior fellow at a think tank in Washington called the Center for American Progress. So what made you decide to write the book in the first place? What what inspired you to write it, just based on your own experiences? Yeah, you know, it was my own experience in part, but then also, you know, there is so much uh, conventional wisdom around learning, uh, and so much of that conventional wisdom, Ryan, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people believe in learning styles that some people believe learn best with their eyes. Some people learn best with their ears. There's no evidence for that. Uh, and then I often see people using highlighters or rereading as forms of studying uh, really weak approaches to acquiring expertise. And then there's some approaches that, frankly, people think are a little weird, like self-explaining, uh, talking to yourself, you know, are highly, highly effective, and, and people don't use them nearly enough. And so my goal with this book was really then to spread the word to help people understand how to learn in more effective ways. Yeah, there definitely are better ways to learn. And I wish I would have read this book earlier. I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast, but in the world of professional services, you're always learning. Well, not even professional services. In life in general, you're always learning. You're always trying to acquire new skills. Uh, at least I hope so. And the way that I learned in the past was exactly that, man. I would highlight books, you know, dog ear pages, make notes on books. Uh, but my problem was I wasn't retaining a lot of it. And so after reading the book, I started to realize this is why I'm not picking stuff up. This is why, you know, I'm, this information I'm learning isn't becoming self-knowledge. And it really uh, started to resonate with me when there was a piece from the book there that you were talking about where you said learning turns out to be a process, a method, a system for understanding. It's an activity that requires focus, planning, and reflection. And when people know how to learn, they acquire mastery in much more effective ways. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to be in for a little bit of a journey here as I read this book. And I truly was. And so maybe what we can do is we can share some of those insights in terms of how we can learn better. But before we do, maybe set it up with a story. And I, I really like this story. If you wouldn't mind telling it, this the story with the darts. 
Sure. The story with the darts is, is a fun one. It uh, was an experiment uh, done by Barry Zimmerman uh, now uh, a few decades ago. And really, they just went into a, a private school in, in New York City and, um, you know, had some young uh, students subject for this experiment. And, you know, some of them, uh, they, they knew all of them didn't know how to play darts. That's why they chose darts. And some of them just sort of gave the darts and said, you know, figure it out on your own. Cool. Then they had another group where they said, you know, really just focus on the, the, the target, you know, really, you know, look at the, the goals. And then another group, they said, look, we're going to um, give you some tips on, on how to learn and really focus on how to learn and then focus on the goals. And what was interesting was that, you know, the, the people who were sort of left to their own devices um, did not learn very much. Uh, neither, in fact, did the people who were really focused on, on goals, the people who really learned the most. Uh, by orders of, of magnitude focused on how to learn before they focused on performance. And that's really uh, ended up what this book is about. You know, how do we get better at learning? And uh, a lot of techniques um, can, can, can help us. Absolutely. And obviously, as I got you to tell that story, it just sets it up so nicely. And there's always different techniques that we can use to learn. And you went through them one by one and um, we'll see how the interview goes. But, you know, as far as the way that I like to look at it, I kind of want to go through some of the process that, that, you know, you laid out in the book. And the first one was about value and that it's impossible to learn if we won't want to learn. So to gain expertise, people have to see skills and knowledge as valuable. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that I think a lot of times people believe that we learn a lot like computers, right? So... What I mean by that is we think that like information comes at us, whether it comes in on Twitter or in a book or a friend tells us, and that means that we've learned it, right? That we've made sense of it. But really, learning is about finding meaning in something. It's about really actively engaging. And that's why, you know, something like rereading doesn't help all that much. It, it, it doesn't really push us to find meaning to find value in an area of expertise. You know, what's funny about this is, you know, I talk a lot about more active forms of learning in the book about how important it is to test yourself, right? Quizzing yourself is a fantastic way to learn. You know, when you ask yourself, like, what does this really mean? Or you read something, you put away the book and then just try and engage in free recall, highly effective ways to learn. The problem is that this is a much more difficult kind of strenuous way to to learn, you know, I, I wrote this whole book in part because I wanted to argue on behalf of more active forms of learning. And not long ago, I was uh, practicing for a speech, and I had in front of me my notes, and I noticed that I was just rereading my notes because you know, it, it was just sort of comfortable. And I was like, "Wow, you know, I wrote this whole book on an argument of more active forms of learning, and yet I myself, you know, fall back into these more passive forms of of practice because they are, in fact, easier." Why do we do that? Is it just because how we were taught growing up? Like, what makes you go back to that as, like, the default? Why is that? It's interesting. I think one of it is comfort, right? That it's just, you know, especially, that I don't know if, you know, you practice for an interview or a talk or a presentation. You know, you want those notes in front of you because they, they just make you feel better, right? It's like a, a security <laughs> blanket. So I think, that's, I think that's one. I think, two, you know, we have this notion, right, that the brain just takes everything in, right? That it just sort of, that the information gets lodged there. And really what we need to do is, is make sense of it. And I think people know this to a degree. I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I certainly have had this experience where teaching something to someone else really helps me learn it better, right? So 
oh, I have this, had this experience, you know, just talking about the solar system with my kids, you know. By saying that loud, I was like, oh, I realized what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Then I had to really sort of recall it. I had to really make sense of it, right, because I wanted to tell them, you know, not some, you know, made-up version, but really inform them of what the solar system was. And so that more active form, um, you know, is harder and, and also that pushes us to, to really make sense. Absolutely. And so maybe when it comes down to finding value, if you have to learn about the solar system and you're teaching your kids, you want to make sure that your kids truly understand it, that they, you know, understand all the facets of it that they need to learn in order to be successful on their test or what have you. There might be some sort of value in you learning that because you want to make sure that you're learning it so that your kids learn it better. Um, you know, for example, if you're learning math, to, and you might love math and you might love gymnastics, so then you might work on math problems involving rotations, for example. Or if you're learning knitting, you might want to create a sweater for your close friend in order to add value or find value in the process of learning. And I truly believe that this whole idea of finding value is truly important because there's things that I learned before where I was like, why am I even learning this? And I wasn't passionate about it. I wasn't digging deep into it. My mind was always wandering and it wasn't really engaged in what I was learning because there was no value there. And so this first point here where you're talking about find value in, in learning, to me, that was a big shift for me. Number one, just to understand what motivated me to learn in the first place. Um, and I think that is something that a lot of people have to figure out why are you learning in the first place and what value does this have? Yeah, I mean, implicit in what you said and, and something I really just didn't want to highlight because I thought you put it so well is, you know, making sense is that first step of value. But even before that, you know, we, we want to feel motivated. We want to find some relevance in the work. And, you know, I think we often think, oh, you know, we mentioned, you know, little pop stars or something like that. That's going to make it interesting to other mm-hmm. people. But I think we really have to understand motivation is a one-way street and it goes to the individual to the subject. So if you just, you know, if you want to teach some statistics or, you know, SPSS or something, you know, just mentioning, um, you know, baseball isn't going to do it. But if you ask them, you know, how do you see this, you know, Excel training going to improve your career? How do you know that this accountability, uh, uh, excuse me, this accounting form is, is going to, you know, help you uh, win more clients, you know, you have to have people figure out how it's relevant to their own lives. And it's really that, that one-way street. Uh, to me, in my mind, when we think about motivation, when we think about value, your nitty example was powerful. I thought, you know, uh, it's really, you know, puts it in, uh, in, in sharp relief. Mm, absolutely. In Golden Nugget number two, we talk about targets and creating targets. So in the early part of learning, focus is so important. And people need to figure out exactly what skills they need to learn they need to set goals and they need to set different objectives for themselves because if you don't and you just have this lackadaisical approach of, listen, I have you know a vague aspiration to do a good job, do okay, I'm probably not going to be very successful. So talk to us about the importance of setting targets. Yeah, this is you know fascinating. I think it happens so often when we learn. We're like, oh, you know, I want to get better at dancing or I want to improve my golf game. And so we'll you know, just you know, go out to the range and mm-hmm. – and, uh, you know, hit a few balls. And, you know, the evidence is so clear. I mean, literally hundreds of studies have shown that people learn a lot more when they're focused, when they write down, you know, instead of just, I'm going to get better at my golf game, you know, write down, I'm going to improve my, you know, uh, swing, or I'm going to improve, you know, my really close putts. Um, you know, I'm going to improve my, the way that I uh, hold the, the putter, you know, the more that we really have specific targets that we create to ourselves, as opposed to these really kind of 
you know, much more kind of vague notions like I, you know, want to get better at the, the tango, the, the better off we are. And there's a number of reasons for that. One, it's so easy when we're learning to just give up, right? We're like, oh, I want to, you know, get better at, at diving. And, uh, you know, we go out there that first time and belly flop. And you're like, this is not going to work out. You know, I've always sucked at, at diving. And so you give up. When, but when you set targets, you know, and, and they're very specific, you have that sense of accomplishment. Like, oh, okay, you know, I can do this. I can, I can get there. The other thing that's important, you know, when it comes to, to learning is that, you know, our brain, wonderful device, arguably one of the most powerful things, um, you know, organically in, in, in the planet, right. In terms of, you know, all the things that we're able to do, but we get distracted so easily, so easy to get off topic, to, you know, check Instagram or, Mm -hmm. you know, start listening to music. And we need targets because, you know, when we're learning, especially, you know, if we're learning a new subject like Spanish, we really need to focus on what we uh, want to learn and, and not overwhelm short-term memory. And this helps us understand, you know, why, PowerPoint presentations should be clean and simple without, you know, music. This explains why it's always so hard to, you know, memorize a a telephone number. You know, our short-term memory just, you know, isn't that powerful. And uh, targets just help us really acquire expertise in in more focused uh, and improved ways. It's funny you said the golf example. I always looked at this from the perspective of, you know, just me getting better at my career, getting better in, in professional services, marketing, sales, product development, etc. Until you mentioned the golf example. And I'm like, man, how come I didn't think about applying this to my golf game? I'm so lackadaisical when it comes to my golf game, not setting targets at all. And maybe it explains why I'm so terrible at golf. And maybe I got to apply some of this to my golf game. Because usually when I do that, I'm just kind of walking up. When I go to the range, I'm doing exactly what you're saying. I'm going to go hit a bucket of balls. I don't have any target in mind. I'm just, I want to get better. So do you see, where do you see people essentially putting some of this this uh, philosophy into practice like do you see people putting into practice obviously you know within their career within their jobs um, sports like where have you seen people use some of these techniques yeah I mean in some ways we're really just learning all the time and so you know now that I um, you know wrote this book I, I feel like I see it everywhere um, you know the the practicing and, and sports is one that I see uh, quite a quite a quite a bit um you know there's this idea here let me ask you a quick question Ryan. Sure. let's say you want to get better at your golf game and, and you have three days you know uh to to practice right i don't know you're, you're mm-hmm. traveling for work and you're like oh there's a beautiful uh course and would you uh practice on i don't know that much about golf it's mm-hmm. probably a little bit obvious but <laughs> you know would you practice um on one practice session you know you're putting the next day your drives and your third you know day uh shooting out of the sand or would you mix it up on on each day uh, so you're doing a, a little bit of all three of those, or what, mm. which which one would you go for? Would you block your practice, um, or would you would you mix up your practice? You know, it's funny how I would do it. Is I'd probably end up blocking it. I would say, hey, listen, I got three days. I'm doing driving one day. I'm doing you know my my mid range game another day with my irons, and I'm doing my short game the next day. Yeah. So people 
uh, do this all the time. I wrote about it in the book. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I, I came across a video of uh, LeBron James, the basketball player, and he was taking this type of practice too. You know, he would take uh, 10 three-pointers in a row and then uh, 10 little uh, jumpers and then some, some hook shots. But the evidence is so clear that you should mix up your practice. So, mm-hmm. you know, do a little bit of your mid-range game and then, you know, practice your, your putting and then practicing your drive, really mixing it up in each practice uh, session far more effective way to go. To a degree, it goes back to something that we talked about earlier, right? That if you make learning more active a little bit harder for yourself, you know, you uh, you end up learning more because you really have to, to pay attention. And then it also allows you to see kind of the, the deeper structure of an idea, what really makes a mid-range shot a mid-range shot when you mix it up like that, and do that kind of uh, clear compare and, and contrast. What's the advantage and the disadvantage? So what's the disadvantage of blocking it? And what's the advantage of mixing it up, I guess? Like, why would I, you know, let's just say I'm doing my golf thing. And you're saying, essentially, you're telling me that by mixing it up, it allows me to maybe see the bigger picture and it allows me to, to, to maybe contextualize a little bit more. Is that true? Like, what? help me understand a little bit more, because I don't quite get it in terms of why I would mix it up. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go down. So one is just the activeness, uh, which we talked about earlier, but... There's this idea that psychologists call the, the deep structure of something. So uh, if you think about the deep structure of, uh, let's just say, 5 plus 3, and then there are things that are called surface features, and we often get caught up in the surface features. So if, I, if you were learning 5 uh, plus 3, you know, I could give you a long, complicated word problem about a boy named Mo who had these big ears. He goes into a corner shop, and you, then you start thinking about Mo in this corner shop, and where is the corner shop, and... You know, uh, and then you you don't really see the the deep idea, which is five plus three. Another example might be, let's say, the deep structure of an idea is that um, speed helps um, armies win wars. And then we could talk about uh, that idea, and then we could talk about it in different contexts, right? So, how did speed help the Germans in World War Two? What was the role of speed during the American Revolution? Um, you know, how did, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, Vietnam war, how did speed play a role in that? And the more that you vary the surface details, the better you understand the deep structure. So the more that you use five plus three hmm. in a restaurant, figuring out the tip, uh, you know, you know, <laughs> adding up, uh, your, your golf game scores, yeah. The more that you vary that contextual details, the more that you understand the, the real rich idea at the end. And, you know, those surface details are important. You know, they're great for marketing. That's what really captures people's attention, right? Um, but that deeper structure idea, right, is what helps you to solve problems, right? When uh, you, you know, are asked, you know, what role does, um, you know, speed have in, in, uh, in, in wars? Right. In Golden Nugget number three, we talk about the idea of developing your knowledge, developing your skills. And at this next stage of learning, people need to hone their abilities and take steps to improve performance. And uh, essentially, people need to practice. They need to set aside time to develop their area of mastery. So talk to us about the importance of setting aside that time and developing your skills, developing your knowledge. Yeah, you know, when we think about the development, it's, it's really about practice and you know, practice is such a funny word, right? You know, people say, oh, you should practice thing, this, but it's sort of like the word studying. We don't know, you know, should the practice be hard? Does it include feedback? Should the feedback come immediately or uh, later? And I got really fascinated with this idea 
Um, and, you know, uh, you like golf. I'm a basketball player, as uh, it's perhaps already become clear. And, you know, I play in, in a, guy, a game with other kind of pot-bellied, uh, you know, middle-aged guys. And <laughs> one time my wife was uh, was, was out, of, out of town. I was like, you know, I should get myself a, a basketball tutor. And, you know, there are sports, you know, people my age, there are sports where it's cool to get a tutor, right? Hmm. Golf, you know, you take a couple of lessons with a pro, that's cool. Uh, tennis, same. You know, basketball is just not the, the case. I mean, I ended up getting this guy who had played with the, the Harlem Globetrotters and nice. I would show up at these sessions really and I would like try and not make eye contact with any of the other adults there because they were bringing kids and those kids were like my age, right? <laughs> I, I didn't want to, you know, confess that I was, I was the guy getting these lessons. And here's the thing, you know, with practicing with this guy, even just one or two sessions, pow, I got so much better and I just forgot, you know, how valuable feedback is. Feedback that's focused, specific, um, really such a powerful way to learn, such a powerful way to practice. And, and too often we're really like, um, you know, me, you know, visiting my basketball tutor, you know, we just kind of get embarrassed. Hmm. Uh, we don't want to give feedback. We don't want to take feedback. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Yet it is so crucial to developing anything in which we want to get better at. So in this area here, talk to me a little bit about this idea of passive learning, because you mentioned this at the very top here, and this is something that I do. I'm sure a lot of people do as well. It's this whole idea of like just passive learning, things like rereading. And instead of doing something like rereading a book, which I do all the time to try and learn something, instead we should rely more on what you call active learning strategies, like self-quizzing or self-explaining. Yeah, we mentioned this a little bit at the top, you know, we want to be more active learners. It's so crucial. We want to be more engaged and, you know, quizzing yourself, great way to learn. Even free recall is a great way to learn. What's really important to, to keep in mind here, and this is kind of a funny thing, is that our brain doesn't actually forget, mm. right? We have, when you look at our neural capacity, the ability to remember just about everything, right? So even down to, you know, the, the shoes that your kindergarten teacher once wore. The difference, though, is retrieval, okay? So the degree to which we retrieve something from memory, actively retrieve it, is actually what keeps us top of mind. Now, generally, this is a good thing, right? You don't want to remember where you parked the car last month or three months ago. You want to remember where you parked the car <laughs> yesterday, right? And so it's that active retrieval that keeps something uh, in our memory. And so when we retrieve, when we engage in these more active forms of, of learning, there actually just helps us keep what we want to know, what we want to remember really at the, at the top of mind and not sort of tucked away in some deep recess, you know, like uh, stuff that's, that's in your attic. And this is true for memory, but it's also uh, true for richer forms of learning, right? You get that email from your boss. It's a couple of paragraphs long. You really want to make sure you understand the directions uh, that, that, uh, he or she is, is giving you. And, and, you know, to do that, you know, retrieving it, right. Sort of stepping away from the computer and, and practicing saying it out loud makes you think of connections, right? So if your boss is like, Oh, you know, talk to the client, make sure that, you know, you, you're chattering with them about derivatives. And so then you're thinking to yourself, okay, the derivative, they work like this, they work like that. You know, it, it helps you develop those connections that, um, really are, are, you know, crucial to learning. So you want to remember stuff because, you know, memory is, 
is key, but also developing those richer connections that allow you to see analogies, that allow you to understand nuance, that allow you to make a, a kick-ass presentation to solve new problems. You know, those are the things that this free recall also encourages uh, us, us to do. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. And that really feeds into the next golden nugget here where we talk about this idea of extending your expertise. And so at this point in the learning process, we want to go beyond the basics and we want to apply what we know. So for example, for yourself, you know, when you wrote the book and you started doing more speaking engagements, I'm sure, you know, you, you did a whole bunch of speaking engagements before that, but you know, you can study how to become a good speaker, but you got to get out there and you got to do it. You got to do, you know, more speaking of all kinds from lectures to MIDI interviews to podcast interviews. So talk to me about this idea of extending. Yeah, you know, the idea of extending is, is really, you know, at the beginning part of the learning process, you want to focus on, you know, just getting the basics down. You know, you often hear from people today, oh, you know, you don't need to memorize something. Uh, you don't need to know the, the facts. Uh, our phones are so powerful, you can look it up. And I would just say to you, you know, Now, uh, Ryan, maybe you do know German, but if you don't know German, you can look up each of those words, right, you know, in, in front of you, you're probably sitting in front of a computer, but unless you have that really top of mind, uh, those, those vocabulary words, you, you know, you won't know that I just asked you if you ate, ate breakfast this morning. <laughs> so when we start learning, right, we need to memorize the basics. We need to really master them to get fluent in them. Mm -hmm. But then to really become effective, we want to mix up our learning, practice in different situations, and really make sure to compare and contrast really closely so, you know, if we were talking about your golf game, you know, it's, it's really important to, to do things back to back, right? Hmm. Then you really, you know, if you're getting, trying to get better at skiing, you know, go down sort of moguls uh, and then go down a, a, a slope with a lot of powder because then it, it really forces you to focus on those nuances, those small differences. And that type of extending is, is really a powerful way to, uh, to get better. Hmm. So how do you extend if you're, you know, a professional, if you're in sales, if you're in marketing, uh, you know, you're trying to learn a new type of sales strategy, new type of sales technique, a new type of way of delivering a pitch. Or if you're a marketer and you're trying to develop, you know, or learn new skills in marketing, would you just say extending is as simple as just get out there and do it? Is that what this comes down to? It's just get out there, do it. Or is there a little bit more to it than that? No, there's, there's certainly more to it than that. You know, one is just, as you said, you know, just executing and then looking for feedback uh, is going to, to be key. Uh, as soon as this podcast ends, I'm going to be like, Ryan, I, I want some feedback. You are forced to give me feedback. Mm -hmm. You will not you know, get off the line with me until you give me feedback. So one is just doing it, getting that feedback really crucial. And then two, you know, you want to look for these types of connections. You want to try and find uh, analogies. You know, analogies are a funny thing. We often think about them in terms of IQ tests, you know, uh, dog houses to dog as, you know, bird is to what I, I screwed that one up. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think, I think the listeners will get the, the yeah. basic idea. Analogies are such a powerful way to hmm. force us to engage in, in better forms of thinking. And to a degree, you know, we uh, use analogies all the time. I mean, how many times have you heard, you know, Uber, but for cooking, totally. uh, which is, you know, the, the blue apron concept, mm -hmm. but we can use analogies also to force ourselves to understand things better, to explain things to other people. Uh, it's really a great and really effective way to learn. So the extending is one doing with feedback 
And then also making sure that we see these richer connections across fields, that we look for analogies uh, as ways to, to push ourselves and, and really figure out, you know, how to solve problems, how to think differently. You know, ultimately, we learn not to gain a sense of the facts, but to change the way that we think, right? So if you want to be a more effective marketer, you know, you, or if you want to learn marketing, you're, you're learning in order to become, uh, to think really like a, a marketer. So when you see a, a problem, you, you know how to, to, to solve it. Absolutely. And there's another point here that I really like that I got to mention here and that um, there's a lot of value in group work as well, because just what you were talking about earlier about, you know, talking about, you know, the solar system with your daughter and that people can learn a lot by explaining ideas and asking, you know, does this make sense or how does this work? And much in the same way where people gain a lot when they start to explain ideas to others. And that's why, you know, I love group work from a perspective of learning, because with group work, you know, you can provide instruction to your peers, um, the individual gains more, you have a little bit more collaboration. And I always found that, you know, when I was back in, in college and university, I always retained the most and I still retain the most from group work that we did in courses that I just honestly didn't care too much about, like sociology, for example. And the group work that we did together, it, it it really helped me grasp that a lot more. And I think that, again, there's another technique there out of the many that you've mentioned already um, that can help us extend our expertise. Group work, uh, incredibly powerful. Uh, you know, like you, you know, you have these occasional group work that are duds, right, where, you know, no one does the work, but really such a, a powerful, powerful way to uh, to get better. In the fifth golden nugget here, we talk about relating skills. And in this phase, this is where we see how it all fits together. So maybe just lead us into this one, relate. Yeah, so you know, this goes on to what we were speaking about a moment ago where you're looking for uh, connections. You want to know how things hang to, together. And this really gets at the heart of why we learn skills, right? We, you know, when we think about, okay, uh, gosh, maybe, you know, you learned about science class when you were a little kid, you know, what you want to know is not like what the temperature of the ocean is, right? What you want to know, or at least know today, right, is like, oh, uh, you know, if water temperature goes up, uh, water expands, this helps me think about, you know, global climate change, because if, you know, the temperature of the water goes up. This is why some islands might soon be submerged underwater, right? It's these types of relationships that are a powerful way to learn. So anything you can do to think about these types of connections really makes a, a powerful difference. I had a lot of experts, you know, talk to me about this. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, try this out in my own life. Uh, I always wanted to know a little bit more about wine. So I took a wine pairing class and, you know, it was so clear to me that the wine pairing class was such a, a great way to, to learn about wines, right? Because I started thinking about not the like factual details, like, you know, what is the country that produces the most amount of Merlot? But I was thinking, oh, you know, why does the sweet wine pair well with spicy food? You know, mm. what do the tannins in, in red wine do with cheese? Why do those two interact? And that's really the type of learning that I want in order to, you know, appreciate appreciate wines, right? Um, and, you know, that type of kind of compare and contrast, very, very powerful. You want to look for uh, these types of relationships. Yeah, and you're really talking about this idea of hypotheticals. And <clears throat> this one was a really important one to me because there's an example here where, you know, for example, if you want to understand Romeo and Juliet better, then consider what would have happened if, you know, Romeo and Juliet hadn't died in the Shakespeare play. Um, you know, with the Capulets and the Montagues, would they still have a feud? Or, you know, your science example there, like what would happen if living things didn't evolve over time? So why is it that hypotheticals are so important? Like for me, the way I look at this and when I was really 
uh, marinating on this chapter, to me, it was really about understanding things a little bit bigger than how I looked at it. And this is a huge lesson for me because when I was reading books, it's very much I'm reading this and this little detail here or this procedure, I'm just looking at this little piece here. But when I started adding different hypotheticals to it, I started asking questions and it blew it up a little bit more. And by blowing it up a little bit more, it it allowed me to see it at a bigger picture and understand it a little little bit more differently. Yeah, I think, you know, hypotheticals give us a way to to see how things uh, interact, how they relate in a in a more powerful way, right? They allow us to to see those types of connections, and I think they're really powerful for people who are you know considering you know a communications problem, uh, you know considering um, you know uh, an issue at work. You know if I if this didn't exist, how would I get better? Steve Jobs was well known to uh, ask these types of hypotheticals because it would help people think a little bit more creatively. Einstein, a huge fan of these types of hypotheticals. Uh, a lot of the theory of relativity came out of that. Really, a, um, you know, a, it's a powerful way to, uh, to gain expertise. In the last Golden Nugget, we talk about rethinking and rethinking understanding. So do I really know what I think that I know? So when it comes to learning, you know, it's easy to make mistakes, to be overconfident. And so we need to review our knowledge to reconsider our understanding. So talk to us a little bit about this idea of rethinking understanding. Sure. Well, one aspect of it is, is simply that people are overconfident. Uh, most people think that they're better looking than average. Most people think they're better than the average driver. Most people think that they're, you know, work harder than the average person in their office, right? We're just simply overconfident. We're often overconfident about things that we're familiar with. So asking yourself this question, you know, do I really know what I know? Am I sure? Am I confident? Could I explain it to someone else? Uh, could I apply it? you know, day to day, it's really good ways to make sure that, you know, we aren't, um, you know, too, uh, too confident. And then the other aspect about, you know, rethinking of, of reviewing is just giving ourselves time to, uh, allow ideas to marinate, to allow ideas to, uh, to, to really reflect on them. You know, we often use this example where like, Oh, you know, you come up with great ideas in the shower and people talk about that as creativity. Learning is, isn't any different, right? We just need time uh, to uh, allow our uh, thoughts to see these types of connections. You know, concrete example of this is, you know, sleep. Sleep's very, very powerful learning. But also, you know, just allowing yourself time to forget and revisiting something. Mm. Again, a great way to learn. There's a piece here where Scott Page talks about this idea of diversity of opinion, diversity of thought. And it really resonated with me because myself as a product developer, as somebody who helps develop products, services, offerings for different companies. I know the value of diversity. You know, if if I show somebody a rose and I say, what is this rose? What, what picture does it conjure up for you in your mind? I ask six people, I'm going to probably get six different answers, right? Somebody's going to say love. Someone's going to say Valentine's Day. Someone's going to say tango. Someone's going to say rose hip tea. Like diversity is such a big piece to um, to problem solving. And so... Um, political scientist Scott Page, he showed that teams are more likely to succeed if they have people with diverse experiences. So, for example, if you're trying to solve a problem, um, get people with different backgrounds to help solve that problem. Diversity of thought is uh, such a, a powerful, important thing. Uh, and we don't take um, you know advantage of it nearly enough. Uh, we don't 
encourage our ways uh, think differently. I think we need to acknowledge something about being human, and that is, you know, we like hanging out with people who are similar to us. We feel more comfortable uh, with people of our gender, with people of our religious or uh, racial background. But it's interacting with people who think differently than us that's really going to promote creativity. Uh, It's going to encourage us to uh, understand things in new and important ways. Scott Page has this wonderful experiment where, you know, he uh, uh, has these problems. Think about sort of a lunchroom, you know, from your high school days. And imagine the tables, you know, one table of all nerds, one table of all jocks, and, you know, one table of all the popular crowd. And, And he was able to show that, you know, if you just have a generic problem that, you know, having all the nerds work on it isn't as effective as having a table with a few jacks, a few of the you know popular folks and a few of the, the nerds, right? That diversity makes people uh, work a little bit harder, makes them engage in new ways. But we as people uh, just, you know, we're, we feel more comfortable with people, you know, like us. And so how can we uh, push ourselves to uh, engage with, with people differently, I think is, is so important. Oh, absolutely. Completely agree with you. And, and from my experience, you know, going through and leading teams, through developing, uh, I'll kind of go on a little bit of a diatribe here for a second. I, you know, when I develop products and services, different companies, we'll go out and we'll actually get somebody from marketing, somebody from sales, but then we'll get somebody from admin, somebody from finance, um, you know, a co-op student, and we'll bring them in and we'll do, you know, our ideation sessions, for example. And it's really cool what happens when you start to see these differing opinions come in because they all have a different understanding of of a problem. They all come from it with, you know, their own backgrounds, their own experiences, their own biases. And so it really makes you rethink what you think you know. You know, I think I know everything about this. You can't tell me anything I don't know. And then you bring somebody else in with different experiences, different biases. Truly remarkable and something I don't think that we leverage enough of. And so I was really happy when I finished the book and, you know, I went through the rethink chapter and they were talking about diversity and I, just I loved it because it just resonated with me at such a deep level. Uh, you know, there was a, a, a Columbia uh, University professor in the uh, business school who uh, talked to this, uh, who, who talked to me about this and gave this wonderful example where, you know, he'll tell his MBA students, you know, diversity makes a difference. You have to engage with people different than you. And, uh, you know, just we'll talk for two hours about all the different ways <clears throat> in which, you know, people need to uh, solve problems by, uh, you know, dealing with different people, that that makes them think in in richer ways. Uh, Then he starts off the next class, gives people a problem, and then lo and behold, you know, all the white kids sit together. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, people just have such this urge to interact with people who are like them. And he says, you know, he really just, even after lecturing for a group for two hours, we'll need to, you know, assign people to different classes, different groups, to make sure that they are, are exposed to these different points of, uh, of view. And, and, you know, to be clear, right, you know, diversity is part of that, you know, having people who look differently than act differently than you. But, you know, this type of diversity also just comes from uh, exactly what you pointed out, right? Uh, getting someone from the communications shop, getting someone from the engineering shop to really uh, think through a, a, a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ulrich Bozier, learn better, mastering the skills for success in life, business, and school, or become an expert in just about anything. Fantastic having you on the show, my friend. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to take a lot of value from this. Uh, Ulrich, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they go about doing that? You know, there's not that many other Ulrich Bozers out there, so just give it a Google, visit my website. Uh, love to hear from folks. 
Perfect. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show again, my friend. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much. All right. There we have it. That's Learn Better, Mastering the Skills for Success in Life, Business, and School, or How to Become an Expert in Just About Anything. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you were able to take away a lot of really good information that you can then put into practice to help you become an expert in just about anything. I know that if you're listening, you're hungry for knowledge, which is why you're tuning in, you're looking for new information. Take this episode, listen to it two or three times, listen to it over and over again, and take what Ulrich shares with us and make this knowledge that you hold in your mind, that you bring with you in your trek as your journey in continuing to learn new skills. Um, To me, it's absolutely invaluable to have this knowledge, this information with me as I continue to get better in my career, as I continue to learn more knowledge and how I continue to become an expert in marketing, sales, product development, strategy. I'm definitely going to be applying some of these techniques to my area. If you like this episode, then please get in your rating, get in your review. If you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, it doesn't matter. Get your rating and review in. Send me a screen capture. Send it to ryan.calajuri at me.com. And I'll make sure you get entered into the draw this quarter for a MacBook Air. All right, my friends. Like I said, next week, there's no new episode. I'm going to be in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I'm going to be out there for a friend of mine's wedding. And I'm really looking forward to getting out there and getting a good tan on and sitting on the beach and sipping on a mojito. But uh, definitely, I'll be back here very shortly. And I can't wait to get back here because, you know, every single Monday, I love being here, sharing a brand new book with you, brand new golden nuggets, interviews with authors. And of course, every week, I'm here just trying to save you guys a little bit of time. So until next time, I hope you all take care. And uh, I hope you guys have a fantastic week. I'll catch you back here very soon. Take care, everybody. I love you guys. What do you do on the days when you're just not feeling it? Those days. (laughs) Those days when I'm tired or worn out or just basically sick of the grind. What, What do I do on those days? I go anyways. I get it done even if I'm just going through the motions I go through the motions I don't really want to work out I work out I I really don't want to hammer on a project I hammer on the project don't really want to get up and get out of bed yeah I get up and get out of bed Now, these could be signals that you need some time off. And those signals might be right. They could be correct. But don't take today off. Not today. Wait until tomorrow. Don't don't give in to the immediate gratification that is whispering in your ear. Shut that down. Do not listen to that little voice. Instead, go 
through the motions. Lift the weights, sprint the hill, work on the project, get out of bed. Now, as an overall rule, I do not like procrastination. You need to get things done. If you are going to rest, that is one thing that you should procrastinate on. That's the one thing I want you to put off until tomorrow. And if, when tomorrow comes, you still feel like you need to rest or you need to take a break, then okay. Take it. But the chances are, you won't. You won't need that rest. Chances are you will realize that the desire to rest was just weakness. It was just the desire to take the path of least resistance, the downhill path, the easy path. And by simply going through the motions, you overcame that path. And you stayed on the righteous path, the disciplined path. You stayed on the war path, which is right where you know that you belong.